Welcome nerds, now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV. Now preparing Dragon Slaying Kit. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down the latest episode of The Mandalorian, and we're also reviewing Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Plus, we gotta talk some AEW Dynamite. Incoming. Giveaway alert. All right, before we move on, the good people over at Paramount has sent us five copies of the first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds on Blu-ray to give away to our loyal listeners. All you have to do for a chance to win is either subscribe over on our Patreon at Patreon slash Amazing Nerd Show on any tier level that you'd like, or you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and DM us a screenshot when you're done. And then at the end of April, we'll randomly select five lucky winners. I mean, you can't really get better than that. I mean, not only do you get a chance to win the first season of an awesome new show, but you also get the satisfaction of helping support the podcast. Christian, tell the good people about what they've won. Well, season one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds is now on Blu-ray, DVD, and limited edition Blu-ray Steelbook. Experience every episode like never before with over 100 minutes of special features including exclusive cast and crew interviews a gag reel deleted scenes and more own the emmy nominated first season of star trek strange new worlds from cbs and paramount home entertainment today limited edition 4k ultra hd steelbook available for pre-order now once again for a chance to win your very own copy of star trek strange new worlds season one on blu-ray all you have to do is either subscribe to us on patreon at Patreon slash Amazing Nerd Show on any tier you'd like, or you can go ahead and write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and DM us a screenshot. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead and enter today. And if today's episode isn't enough for you, don't forget you can get even more Amazing Nerd Show content on Patreon by subscribing to our $5 tier. Doing so, you'll gain access to our Best and Worst of the Week show. Though if you'd like even more than that, additional bonus podcasts will be available for our $10 tier that includes all of the other tier's benefits as well. That's right, Christian. Currently, we've got third-tier exclusives like The Nerdies, where we discuss the top performances in TV and film of 2022. And also, this month, we started a brand new segment called Better Late Than Never Reviews, where we review the films and TV shows that we didn't get a chance to discuss when they were first released. You can find our Patreon link in our show notes or simply type in patreon.com slash amazingnerdshow. All right, and a quick shout out to our brand new Patreon subscriber, James. Uh, thank you for supporting the show. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. So up first, we got some good news, and we've got some bad news for some upcoming Star Wars projects. Former showrunner for Watchmen, Damon Lindolf, along with Justin Britt Gibbons, seems to have parted ways with Lucasfilm after turning in their, you know, drafted script for the upcoming Star Wars film back in February. Above the Line claims, while the two writers left, director and producer um, Sharmim Abid Shinoy is still on for this film. At the time of the report, though, it was said that Disney had already found replacements, and later this week we found out just who would be our new scribe, as Variety reports Stephen Knight 
Knight of Peaky Blinders fame has been signed on. While there's still no word on what this film is all about, them going from one drama series producer to the next for its script makes you think, you know, they're probably shooting for a serious tone in this project. It's believed that official news on it will actually be announced at Star Wars Celebration starting April 7th. Yeah, I mean, we still have no clue whatsoever what this project's even about. Um, I was super excited that Damon Lindoff was part of it. But, I mean, especially after The Watchmen. But I've also been hearing yeah. great things about Peaky Blinders for years now, and I just haven't had a chance to check the show out. It seems like all the news we've been getting is, you know, about like, you know, upcoming projects getting canceled, um, you know, or people like walking away from projects. I mean, hopefully this is a case of them coming up with more of a unified like vision of where the franchise is headed into and not just more warning signs for, you know, serious trouble ahead. I mean, we're less than a month away from Star Wars Celebration, so I'm, I'm guessing we're going to get a lot of our answers pretty soon to what where at least star wars is going I, I would assume that they will drop some big news there yeah, but i mean cinematically we have no clue at this point exactly so knock on wood you know we get some sort of like idea of you know where they're planning to go in the next couple of years because since you know rise of skywalker all we really had is just a bunch of talk but with that being said now on to some good news the jude law helmed series skeleton crew may have a couple episodes directed by the now oscar-winning duo of daniel kwan and daniel scheinert who are of course best known now for everything everywhere all at once this rumor coming in from one take news was also sourced by thr and gizmodo as well the series is slated to come out this year still so do you think this means we get to see our first butt plug in the uh galaxy far far away doubt it i mean i could see hot dog fingers but i, I doubt the butt <laughs> oh plug yes will make they it have in, right? to do hot dog fingers <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it would make perfect sense it's you know the world of star wars so uh -huh. i mean no i mean give these guys all the jobs that they want at this point i'm just happy for all their success yeah, I mean, they've been giving films to just about anyone. Might as well, you know, have them help one as well. Yeah, but we see how that's working out. All those people <laughs> are just walking away from their projects frustrated or, you know, like, fuck this place. I'm out. So, like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Hopefully we'll have answers soon. It almost feels like they just sign any, like, brand new talent that has some, like, buzz surrounding them. Mm -hmm. Like, without any idea of what like project that they're gonna attach them to. Um, which I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to go about things. Cause obviously right now it's not working. <laughs> exactly, I, I totally feel like there's no, you know, plan or direction for Star Wars right now. Um, yeah, I, that's how I felt. I mean, when the, <laughs> the sequels were coming out, but even now, especially, it just doesn't seem like they've sat down and really thought, you know, like how they do with the MCU, you know, where we're taking this franchise. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's time for a serious change. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what Iger is supposed to be doing right now, right? I mean, we're seeing him like change things up on, you know, the Marvel side of things now. So maybe it's time, you know, we kind of get a shake up, you know, on the Star Wars end of things. I mean, don't get me wrong, like, I've loved all the Disney Plus series for the most part. It just feels like everything else is so, like, disheveled. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, like you said before, hopefully we get some answers soon. Well, speaking of Marvel, we got an unfortunate update for the upcoming Secret Invasion series. 
Industry insider Casey Walsh claims Marvel Studios is pushing back the Secret Invasion release from May to June for unknown reasons. At least though, it's only a month and not a whole nother season or year. The good news is, is it sounds like June is now set in stone and it won't get pushed back any further than that. At least that's what people have been saying. But anyway, we also got an update for the upcoming WandaVision spinoff, Vision Quest. Upcoming film Marvels and WandaVision writer Megan McDonald, along with Peter Cameron, who has actually also worked on WandaVision, along with Werewolf by Night and Moon Knight, have apparently been added to work on the Vision Quest series for Marvel Studios, as discovered on a listing for the Writers Guild of America. Marvel is clearly high on both of their works as they keep bringing them back, but you have to admit it's been a decent track record so far for both of them. Well, up next, like I said earlier, we had a major shakeup this week over at Marvel Studios. According to Variety, Victoria Alonso, who was president of physical production, post-production, and visual effects along with animation, was let go by Disney. This comes after many criticisms of recent Marvel projects and you know, visual effects. THR reported that several visual effects teams weren't too fond of her either, claiming she was a kingmaker who could you know, either make or break her career with the MCU. One team even going as far to say that they would prefer to never work with Marvel again because of her. It's unclear what her exit may cause to the overall production slate as many projects have been rumored to be getting pushed back so that they can you know, focus on putting out better quality in the visual effects for all these films and series. I mean, you gotta figure that heads were gonna roll like with the amount of projects getting delayed at this point due to visual mm. effects. I mean, every delay probably is costing Disney millions and millions of dollars. So, um, you know, I mean, regardless of her being toxic at work, which it sounds like she was, although there was pushback from some visual effects artists uh, today saying that, you know, pretty much they didn't, you know, share those experiences. Um, with the other artists who came out, you know, and spoke out against her. You gotta figure, though, regardless, Disney's gonna want to hold someone accountable for all the issues they've been having in that department. But honestly, like, we've been hearing about, like, the mistreatment of, like, the visual effects artists for, like, the past year, it feels like. Overworked, underpaid, you know? Well, hopefully if that's true, this, you know, makes a better working environment for everyone and helps the MCU get back on track, headed in the right direction. Because, man... Those effects on She-Hulk were rough. <laughs> it's like, how does this even happen? Well, just like we see in the gaming industry, it's usually management failure. So they probably made the right call here. We also got a quick rumor this week about Deadpool 3, including many more TVA agents than originally predicted. It was already rumored that the TVA would have a role in this film, with Owen Wilson's Mobius being a part of the adventure. But now, according to scooper Jeff Snyder, it seems the Time Variance Authority may be Deadpool's adversaries, with Mobius and Miss Minutes being included in the film. Which makes sense if Deadpool is wreaking havoc on the timelines that the TVA would probably want to shut that shit down. But there is no word if any other characters from the Loki series might be appearing, like Loki himself. But I could totally picture a cameo being possible. I also wouldn't be too surprised if a variant of Kang showed up. But that's just my own speculation for now. Deadpool 3 is set for a November 8th release in 2024. 
Well, moving on to horror, uh, looks like we got some news on Jordan Peele's next film. The horror film director Jordan Peele has announced the next film coming from him in Monkey Paw Productions will be released December 25th, 2024. Could this be a possible Christmas horror tale from Peele? Only time will tell. Oh, I'm a sucker for a good Christmas horror film. I hope so. Yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we have no clue whatsoever what this is about. Um, but I love the fact that Jordan Peele now has that status as a director that, you know, just a release date gets tons of buzz on the Internet. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, last and definitely least, we've got some casting news for the upcoming Exorcist reboot. Looks like Reagan could actually be returning for David Gordon Green's The Exorcist, as Above the Line reported that Linda Blair is rumored to be a part of the film. While it's been reported that Blair has been working on as an advisor on the film by Blumhouse, it's been unclear if she would actually you know, participate and star in this thing. Uh, the film, again, is said to be the beginning of a trilogy and is set for an October 13th release this year. Originally, when the news came out about this reboot, we were kind of questioning why Linda Blair wasn't part of the project when Ellen Bernstein was, um, especially since we know Linda's out there working still. It, it just made sense that she would at least have like a cameo or something. So, I mean, I guess this isn't like really a big surprise. Uh, does it make me want to see the film anymore? No. But you know I you're mean, excited, I, David. I, Stop. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm the exact opposite of excited, Christian. Um, but, you know, will I end up going to see it? Yeah, probably. And that's what I'm excited for. <laughs> yeah, a review of me just bitching and crying in frustration. Yeah, me too. And now for the nerds breakdown of The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 4. Spoilers ahead. Bring the training cards. Why doesn't he wear a helmet? He is too young to speak the creed, and so too young to wear a helmet. Then he's too young to fight. One does not speak unless one knows. Is that not the creed? Well, I know. Perhaps this lesson is for you then. Opening up this week's episode are the Children of the Watch training and sparring with one another on the beach side. As Din Djarin and Bo watch on as these like foundlings train, Grogu sits by the bay playing with some crab-like creatures. Mando decides it's time Grogu begins training with the other foundlings, if he is to become a Mandalorian. And as Mando takes him away from the bay, all the crabs that were seemingly drawn to the youngling retreat into the water. So while I liked the concept of like this big like, you know, training session it really felt kind of like unorganized and all over the place where there's just like random like foundlings wrestling in one corner uh -huh. and like, <laughs> i was like i just i don't know i i expected like the mandalorian like training like to be more intensive so this kind of felt like you know what you'd see on recess like you know, or during recess on the playground somewhere at a school, like not necessarily a Mandalorian, like hardcore boot camp or anything. Yeah, it, it didn't feel serious. Like I, I, 
at all. Yes. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Bring Grogu over to the Foundlings. Mando then sees the most recent Mandalorian to take the Creed, defeat his challenger. Din Djarin sets Grogu up to go against Ragnar, who seems less than impressed by his new challenger, and questions why Grogu is yet to you know, be in a helmet. Din explains Grogu can't speak yet, so he cannot take the Creed. But anyway, Ragnar chooses a contest of darts against Grogu in which it's a first of three successful shots on one another who wins. Grogu is at first easily shot down by Ragnar, but after Mando gives him, you know, the go ahead to use what he's been trained by Luke, Grogu quickly lands three shots on Ragnar and wins after doing a couple flips in the air. I will never not laugh when Grogu starts flipping around. Uh -huh. <laughs> like I'm still not used to Yoda flipping around. I know the prequels have been out for years now, but um, I like once again, like they were like maybe four feet away from each other. I was like, what are they learning from this exercise? Um, and can you really like blame the kid for not taking Grogu like seriously? Like he's literally a foot tall. So I thought exactly. they were being a little hard on him. <laughs> but I did enjoy the little bit of lore we got about the helmet and why, you know, Grogu doesn't have one yet. Like you have to actually say the creed to receive your helmet. Um, you know, I thought that was cool. I don't really understand the rules of this game because it was just like shot, next round, shot, next round, and then yes. Grogu just sends off Thank three you. shots and wins. It's like, wait it's a like, second, what the fuck is that? <laughs> is that cheating? Like, I didn't. Yeah, like why did the other kid have to stop in between his shots, but then Grogu can just unload? Yeah, I mean, once again, I, I don't know what these training sessions are really accomplishing. But at the same time, I guess they're just kids, right? I guess, but they can learn how to dodge. Like. <laughs> Yeah, they do play dodgeball in about every grade school in the United States. So, yes, they can learn how to dodge at least. But honestly, I mean, Mando really doesn't do much dodging, right? So, I mean, he True. takes a lot of those. He takes a lot of hits. <laughs> and now we know why. Ragnar, disappointed by losing, walks over closer to the water as a Shriekhark comes soaring over a hill. Before anyone is actually ready, the creature swoops down and steals the poor foundling. Paz Vizsla and Mando are quick to start jetpacking after it, but both run out of fuel before being able to catch up. Paz claims this isn't the first time this has happened, as shooting at the beast will only end up injuring and or killing the foundling. Luckily, as they watch the Shriekhawk take off with Ragnar, Bo-Katan's ship flies in, tracking down the beast. So how many heavy metal bands named Shriekhawk do you think are, like, <laughs> starting as we speak, like, after this episode? Um, I mean, you got a bass? You got a guitar? What do you got? We, we, we can start this right now. I'm contemplating <laughs> it, honestly. Um, also, like, the Mandalorians are just putting, like, their awful parenting skills on full display here. Like, this is the same fucking beachfront where the dinosaur came out of, right? The water and, like, ate, like, half of their crew. Yeah, this was the same kid. So, so same kid that was, like, there. And the past fully admits that this is the first time this shit has happened before. And that tree hawks just regularly like swoop down and carry off their foundlings. Like <laughs> maybe the foundlings are better off not being found by the Mandalorians. Like I mean, they're just putting them harm's way. <laughs> I mean, find a different beachfront with less dinosaurs and tree hawks, you know, to trade on. You're on a huge planet. But in all seriousness, I like that like Bogotan had like the presence of mind to actually like go to her fucking ship and chase after the thing. Yeah. You know, the Shriekhawk. Um, and I also like the little tidbit of 
their jetpacks actually running out of fuel. Um, you know, that it's not just like some unlimited, you know, supply. Because um, I feel like that might come into play somewhere down the line. After the title screen, Bo-Katan returns to the base, stating that she found the Shriekhawk's nest. The armorer then tasks her and Paz Vizsla to form a team to find their missing foundling. Of course, Mando and several others join up on this delicate mission, but Grogu is too young, so he is forced to stay back. I was confused why she didn't just send them a ping from her location. Why, why even bother having this meetup if the kid's in that much danger? That's a good question. Um... I don't know if it was like quite a distance or something like that. And she felt like they needed time to plan because, yeah, you would think that there'd be more urgency to actually like rescue the kid as fast as possible. I mean, we'll talk about it later, but I was surprised that they chose to like camp out before they scale the mountain, you know, to, you know, retrieve the kid from the nest. Because like, how do you know he's going to survive that long, right? In Mando's absence, Grogu hangs out with the armorer who proceeds to teach the foundling the importance and ways of crafting armor. However, as Grogu watches the armorer use the forge, it seems to trigger some PTSD as we are brought back to the night of Order 66. As we've seen before in Grogu's memories, the clones enter in and start slaughtering Jedis. But this time we see a bit further as when Grogu's pod makes it to an elevator, he is then met by a Jedi Master by the name of Kelleran Beck, as played by former Star Wars star Ahmad Best, who played the role of Jar Jar Binks in the prequels. So I totally love this moment. I think it's awesome that they included Ahmad in the show. A couple years back, uh, my daughter was watching uh, Jedi Temple Challenge, uh, the show in which he hosts as this character. Uh, you know, and before that, you know, they there was a bunch of articles talking about all the shit that he had to deal with over like the last like decade, all because of his role as Jar Jar Binks in the prequels, which listen, I'm not a huge Jar Jar guy by any means, but it's not like I'm not best fucking wrote that character. Like, it's not his fault. So the fact mm. that, you know, he was getting so much shit that, like, you know, it like, he, like, had some, like, mental health struggles. It's just fucking awful. It's ridiculous. Yeah, not fair Yeah, so I was excited back then when he got the job as the host because, you know, they gave him this brand new Jedi character to play. And they said that, you know, this character is now going to be part of, you know, Star Wars canon. I didn't expect that to mean, like, three years later, we would see him, like, rescuing Grogu on, like, you know, the biggest thing Star Wars has going right uh -huh. now. So, I mean, they just took it to, like, the next level. And I thought it was well-deserved because this was an awesome scene. And if you have kids, like, definitely go ahead and check out uh, the Jedi Temple Challenge show because it's 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 very much in the vein of, like, Double Dare. But it's fun and uh, my best is great in it. Kelleran dual-wielding blades impressively dispatches clones getting Grogu to a speeder as they take off into the Coruscant night. The two get chased by clones and Republic gunships as they struggle to keep up with the small speeder. Corellian leads them into a tunnel though and narrowly avoids a transport ship that collides with the gunships. I mean, hopefully there wasn't too many innocent lives on the uh, transport ship, but <laughs> you know, it is what it is. It is what it is, Christian. Um, I thought this was a fun chase scene. And I also love like how much Coruscant we're getting like this season. Yeah, and also to bring back, you know, what you said earlier, um, getting to see him actually use two lightsabers and was just easily going through all those clone troopers was impressive. Yes. Like, that made me pop. <laughs> yes, I mean, not only is he part of, like, Star Wars proper now, but he also has a badass fucking scene to boot. 
Arriving at a dock, Corellian speaks with what looks like a Naboo guard on the platform, which has a ship docked similar to the Royal Naboo spacecraft Padme flew in an attack of the clones. There, Corellian tells the guards that no other survivors are coming as another Republic gunship lands on the dock. A gunfight between the guards and the clones ensues as they tell Corellian to take the ship and go. Inside, Corellian reassures Grogu that he is taking him to some friends. All right, so what do you think? Do you think the Jedi were like specific trying to protect Grogu because like there's something special about him or was it just like he's a foundling so we're trying to make sure that you know he gets out alive and then do you think like Naboo was part of that plan because it definitely felt like they were waiting for them to arrive right so or maybe it's just Krillian who has the ties to Naboo no Jar Jar Binks jokes yeah. please <laughs> You know, honestly, I didn't think of it that way because when I look back at everything we've seen, it was just such a chaotic moment for them that I just figured, you know, hey, they're just doing whatever they can to get out alive. I didn't think that maybe that they were trying to actually protect Grogu in that moment. But the fact that he's already in the pod and that as soon as he goes up the elevator, there's already a Jedi yeah. waiting for him there. That makes it seem, yeah, a little bit more like there was a plan put in place to make sure that Grogu got out safe. Now, what makes Grogu so special? I don't know. Yeah, yet, obviously. But, yeah. but I mean, the fact that like he had like six like Jedi, right? Like yeah. standing in between him and like the clone troopers, you know, when that elevator door opens just makes it seem like they were like trying to protect him and they might have just been protecting him because he's a youngling and it's the right thing to do but it just felt like there was like a plan almost put in place here no i feel like there's several nods uh going on about like whatever grogu's like big importance was because when i looked at that crab sequence earlier it really felt like they were trying to tell us something there as well like how all the crabs were there and then they just disperse the moment he's gone so i just took that as he was pulling the crabs to him because he was going to eat them or something <laughs> so... i don't know but i feel I, like I, there's something more to his force i feel like there. that's foreshadowing though to like the fact uh -huh. that he can control these beasts you know and i think that's going to come into play when it comes to like the mythosaur later on down the line because i mean we've seen him do it before right with the mudhorn right but i do hope that you know we continue to see more backstory and possibly see them on Nab Naboo. I wanted to know what happened after pretty much episode three, for sure. I do love how, like, all these recent, like, Star Wars series are really, like, fleshing out what exactly went down during Order 66. Like, we're seeing, like, that day from so many different angles. It's pretty fucking awesome. We got a bit of it uh, in uh, The Bad Batch, the first episode, where we see uh, Kanan actually escape uh, Order 66. Um, and then we also saw it in Obi-Wan. They just love traumatizing us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they went hard in Obi-Wan. Like, they did not pull uh, any punches. Grogu's memory starts to fade out, and we return to the armorer, who then presents Grogu with his next piece of armor, a chest plate bearing the same insignia as Din Djarin's. So I know I've been hard on the armorer and, the, you know, the children of the Watch in general, um, you know, because they're a fucking cult. Um, but... <laughs> I thought this was a real, like, touchy moment with her, like, you know, making this plate for, you know, Grogu, um, you know, mm. really kind of accepting him into, like, the clan. And I'm glad this isn't, like, an Omega, like, Bad Batch situation where they're just not <laughs> giving, uh, you know, their kid, you know, the proper protection uh -huh. for all these missions that they go on. I just figure it's all about selling new toys, you know, like, we have oh. Grogu with the with the arm, yes. like, the 
dart gun oh, or whatever. hundred percent. Yeah, we're getting that fucking, we're getting a nerf dart gun. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, unless uh, there might actually be one out there already. And I'll probably end up buying myself a Grogu with a soft goods cloak where you could kind of see the armor underneath. Right. Even though I have another Grogu already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a variant, Christian. Come on. <laughs> Your Grogu needs a buddy. Uh, you know, sure. Do you think eventually we see Grogu get his helmet? Oh, yeah. He has right? to. Right, by like the end of the like series, maybe. I mean, his babbles have started to sound more like words yes. throughout this season so far. Yes. So I figure that's where we're going. Yeah, because I don't think we talked about it last episode, but there was a point where they're on the ship and Bo and Mando say this is the way. And it sounds like Grogu's trying to like also say it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's coming. Like, we might get, like, his first word this season. I could see that happening. Maybe last episode or something. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, regardless, it'll be cool. I mean, he, he'll be, like, the second, right? Jedi Mandalorian. Like, because yes. the first one's um, uh, Tar... Is it Tar? Tar Vizsla? Right? Tar, Tear, something like Tear, that. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> he's, right, he's the one who actually, like, made the Darksaber, correct? Yes. So, yeah, the fact that Grogu's, like, the second one, I mean... Does he get the Darksaber? Maybe. I feel like you'd have to shrink it down. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I mean, maybe the species has like a big growth spurt, but I mean, we know Yoda's not that much taller. Yeah, so. <laughs> neither was Yaddle, so. But we do know Yaddle was a badass, especially after uh, Tales of the Jedi, right? I'm just wondering if they ever like actually identify the species that, you know, Yoda and Yaddle and Grogu actually are. Because it seems like no one in the galaxy can identify them. <laughs> Are they all this force sensitive? Or was it just Yoda getting on with Yaddle? Breaking that Jedi code. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they're all protecting the child. Maybe. Uh. Maybe. <laughs> that's their love child. Oh, God. Across the way, the task force makes camp near the nest, preparing to go there the next morning to save Ragnar. As the group prepare to eat, Bo finds herself in a pickle as she doesn't know the customs for dinner time. Din Djarin, you know, explains everyone will go off to a private spot to remove their helmet and eat. But as Bo gets her food, Paz Vizsla stops her from, you know, leaving the area by letting her know that since she is the leader of the war party, she gets the honor of staying by the campfire to eat. Yeah, I thought this was a nice moment and really, like, demonstrated, like, how much respect the children of the Watch are really, like, gaining for Bo here. And we'll talk about this later, but I'm still wondering, like, if she's going to use all this, like, newfound clout, you know, for her own gains later on. I mean, I thought it was a great moment as well, especially, you know, coming from Paz Vizsla, who's been, like, their biggest detractor. But at the same time, all I'm thinking is, like, it's it's been two nights now. This kid has to be dead. <laughs> Like there's well, is it no two way. nights or one night? I think it's one night, right? It feels like it's two nights to me, but I, it might be. I just think it's one night. night. I hope it's been one night. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, you know, Paz isn't going to be winning any Dad of the Year awards because um, fuck, if this was Joel, like he'd be fucking scaling that fucking uh -huh. mountain. <laughs> He'd be, t he'd be asking Shriek Hawks, you know, to point the map, <laughs> tell me where the other ones are now. Kneecapping Shriek Hawks, is that what you're telling exactly. me? <laughs> I miss Joel. Knowing they need to keep this approach as stealthy as possible, the group make their way up to the nest by climbing a nearby cliffside, ultimately choosing not to use their jetpacks that might startle the Shriekhawk. After struggling to climb up, they scan for life forms up there by the nest. And when Mando spots a heat signature, Paz Vizsla rushes in. As it turns out, Ragnar is his son. 
Unfortunately, the heat signature, though, was baby Shriekhawks awaiting their mother. And of course, Mama ain't too pleased to return home and find the children of the Watch there trying to kill them. Spitting out Ragnar, who she was going to feed to her children, we see that he is somehow still alive. The Shriekhawk attempts to, you know, run off carrying Ragnar, but this time they are all able to keep up with her as each one tries to stab and rope her up. Yeah, that, that armor really protects you from a lot, right? Yeah, like, uh, I wasn't expecting Paz to, like, just fly right into the beast's mouth, either, <laughs> just... <laughs> well, that's more like it. That's what I would expect from a father. Yes. So, yes. that's what Joel would do, right? Um, <laughs> or Din, for that matter. But, I mean, I, I'm fine with that moment. I just wasn't expecting the kid to get, like, regurgitated and still be, like, yeah. alive. I mean, like, how long was he inside the Shriekhawk? I mean, I guess we got a, a taste of this with uh, Bobo being able to survive the Sarlacc pit, you know, for that so long. True. So That is true. Bo-Katan gets in close and stabs the beast in the eye, which leads to a damaged Paz Vizsla getting flung to a cliffside. The beast, overwhelmed, drops Ragnar, but Mando swoops in for the cats, bringing the boy to his father as Bo sends the beast to a nearby lake, which, of course, has a giant fish there waiting for something to just fall into its gullet. They just need to find a new fucking planet. Like... <laughs> <laughs> it's a dangerous ass planet um uh, i thought this was a great scene and once again like th this season has just been filled with great like action set pieces like this um i mean even with like season three's like shorter run times you know besides last episode um i feel like favreau has found a way to like jam pack every single one of these like chapters just filled with fucking action top to bottom so like by the end of the episode like i never feel cheated you know, so far at least. They return to the camp and are greeted with cheers for their success. The armor explains to Bo that saving a foundling is probably the highest honor she could achieve amongst them. In the fight, Bo lost a shoulder piece of her armor, which the armor generously decides to replace for her. Inside the forge, she asks Bo if she would like the same insignia of the Night Owl as she has on her other shoulder. But as Bo looks around, she sees the symbol of the Mythosaur and asks if she would be able to have that instead. This moment then prompts Bo to ask what the armor would think if she said she actually saw a mythosaur. The armor just assumes that Bo has had an illusion of one or is just, you know, imagining one. But Bo does reaffirm that she saw one for real in the living waters when she went to go save Mando. To me, at the end of this conversation, it was unclear if the armor believed her or not. But after she gives her the new piece of Beskar, she simply tells her this is the way. So did you read this as the armor almost being like condescending? Like, oh, hey, yeah, sure. This is the way. Kind of like shushing her a bit. Like, yeah, this is the way. Sure, sure. <laughs> sure you did. Um, I didn't take it that way. I really thought she was accepting of the story because I thought it was almost similar to the way she said, like, this is the way to uh, Mando when he brought up his plan, you know, to go and, you know, bathe in the waters on Mandalore. Yes, but she did, you know, proceed that with her saying, you know, hey, that's not possible, but you, you do you. <laughs> it all worked out, right? I guess, yes. So do you think Bo sharing the, the story about the Mythosaur with the Armorer is a sign that she's starting to, like, warm up to the children of the Watch? Or do you think she's perhaps still working an angle here? I think that she's personally, you know, falling more and more into the ideals of the watch. Like, I think she's starting to, you know, understand and believe what they might be, you know, kind of preaching here for them. But I, I don't think she's, you know, doing such a big angle on them. Like, she might want their help, but 
I can't imagine that she's really trying to just, you know, stab everyone in the back and be like, this is all for me to be a ruler. So we're not going to see like a scene, like a flashback scene of her putting like some like Shriekhawk like bait <laughs> on the foundling before the thing swoops down <laughs> and carries him off to its nest. That would be awful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess we got to go on this mission so we can bond. Um, <laughs> no, I agree to a certain extent, like. Even though, like, last episode, it felt like maybe she was kind of just going along with, you know, joining the Children of the Watch to perhaps, like, you know, use them. Um, especially since she hadn't, like, divulged the information about the Mythosaur at that point, even to, like, Din Djurin. Um, It just felt to me like she was, like, perhaps trying to, you know, somehow use them to, you know, regain power. But here in this moment... Knowing, like, everything she's been through since the second season and how she's been kind of lost um, as a character, it felt like, I don't know, she was enjoying, like, belonging to something again, mm -hmm. you know, and being surrounded by all these other Mandalorians. But, like, I do feel like she's going to eventually, like, cash in her chips um, and all the trust that she's gained, you know, with the group, um, you know, to help her perhaps like tame the mythosaur and then maybe eventually like when she tries to like reunite all the clans on mandalore you know she comes to odds with you know the children of the watch i'm just really surprised like how accepting now she is of the children of the watch especially knowing like how in the past she really blamed you know their clan and other clans like them for dividing the people of mandalore at the same time she had like a group around her and they all abandoned her you know, mm -hmm. the moment she lost the dark saber and you know she's needed as you said she was lost so yeah a group just accepted her you know so easily and is you know willing to show her the way i, I i'm it makes sense for me at least. but here's the bigger question are they seriously going to keep those fucking shriekhawks those baby shriekhawks around as foul <laughs> yes <laughs> have I they did not learned to their mention fucking that. lesson yes. <laughs> Because <laughs> they come off the ship and like, oh, we also found you another couple of foundlings. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, I'm hoping that they're just going to raise them and ride them, not actually, you know, try and train them like Grogu. <laughs> so <laughs> what? I mean, how many more times do these things have to eat your kids before you learn not to fuck with them? Like, <laughs> what are we doing here, people? Yeah, I was surprised they weren't using them for food, but it's fine. <laughs> It's whatever. <laughs> That's what I was expecting to happen. I mean, it's kind of messed up to see, like, baby ones getting, like, you know, barbecued or whatever. But, you know. They're the size of humans. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like I said, I thought this was a really fun episode. I am starting to get a little concerned, though, about, like, this season overall. Just because we're, like, halfway through and they haven't really, like, introduced a big bad at all. Yeah, it's feeling like it's, you know, going at the pace of, like, an 18-episode show rather than... You know, what is this? An eight to ten episode? Is it only eight episodes? Yeah, really? it's eight. Yeah, it's eight. Oh, jeez. So we, we're halfway through. Um, <laughs> but maybe this chapter is all about, like, the Mandalorians becoming whole again and, you know, reuniting as a people. But knowing that we have to, like, wait two years in between each season, pretty much, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got to figure after, like, spending 40-some minutes with Dr. Pershing 
the remnants of the empire are going to come into play in the next couple episodes mm. somehow you know like i mean maybe we'll get like a moff gideon sighting and like see exactly what he's been up to i know he was taken prisoner by the republic but but who's to say like he hasn't escaped or we're about to see him you know somehow you know break out i mean i wouldn't be surprised if he's got a whole kingpin situation going on in prison he's just running it you know doing his operations from there well after last episode and everything with um alaya or g68 i wouldn't be surprised if like there aren't tons of like little like sleeper cells all over the republic mm-hmm. you know pulling strings i mean we also haven't seen if like they're gonna do any type of ties towards the ahsoka series because i mean there could be thrawn you know meddling with stuff that we don't know about either yeah no that's true and we did have that little moment i believe in the first episode where we saw some of those like space wells you know, at least, mm-hmm. you know, silhouettes of them. So I don't know that that definitely felt like a little like foreshadowing. But anyway, hopefully we find out some of the answers to those questions next week as we break down episode five of The Mandalorian. And now for the nerds review of Shazam Fury of the Gods. Mild spoilers ahead. And now our feature presentation. The daughters of Atlas are coming to hunt us. Children stole the power of the gods. You ripped it from our father's core. Okay, I feel like maybe I should be writing all this down. Give us the powers, child. Your world will not survive this. You want these powers? Come get them! When a vengeful trio of ancient gods arrives on Earth in search of the magic stolen from them long ago, Shazam and his allies get thrust into battle for their superpowers, their lives, and the fate of the world. Shazam! Fury of the Gods is directed by David F. Sandberg and stars Zachary Levi, Lucy Liu, and Helen Mirren. So coming into Shazam! Fury of the Gods, I think I kind of forgot how weird the first film's tone felt for me, as that same kind of feeling carried right into this one. While the movie is a lot of fun with plenty of enjoyable moments, the tone feels just kind of all over the place, to the point where many moments left me confused as to who they were actually making this for. Asher Angel and Zachary Levi are back as Billy Batson in what feels like a couple years since the previous film. I think he was 16 in the first one, so yeah, it makes sense. It was two years. Um, this time, Billy is nearing the aging out part of the foster care system, and while dealing with imposter syndrome as towards being a hero, he's also facing you know his fear of loss as he feels like he will lose his newfound family that he's already struggling to be the leader of now since he gave them all superpowers. From performances to from the performances to the story, it felt like our main hero had the best through line even in his most you know, immature moments. You understood really what Billy was going through, which built up nicely into the final fight between him and our new foes, which this time around are the daughters of Atlas, who after having their magic stolen and realm ruined by the wizard, they have been trapped outside of our realm for thousands of years. After Billy broke the wizard's staff to prevent the last film's villain from being able to use it, the wizard's barrier was then you know, brought down, which allowed the daughters to now come to Earth. Lucy Liu and Helen Mirren playing Calypso and Hespera reclaim their power through finding the broken staff and plan to then turn Earth into a new home for the gods. Overall, while it was clear they outmatched Shazam and his family, they just never came off all that menacing and they also 
and they always seemed to choose options that didn't put Shazam's family in all that much danger, I felt. Um, like everyday people on the street were just getting murdered left and right, but I never felt like any of the team were all that much at risk in this film. Lucy Liu as Calypso was probably the weakest performance in the whole movie. She came off very Rita Repulsa from you know the Power Rangers and just felt like she was there to collect a check where I really believed more of Helen Mirren's performance as Hespera. But maybe that's just because her character seemed to have a little bit more motivations that were that felt a lot less one-dimensional than Lucy Liu's character. The only other story I feel like that's worth mentioning to me would be Freddy's, as now that he's got superpowers, it's getting to his head a bit. Either way, this was a story I was kind of wanting a bit more from, as Freddy is, you know, disabled and forced to use a crutch. People from his high school are also, you know, incredibly awful to him to the point where the bullies are just a little too ridiculous and probably would have been expelled for what they were doing to him. Freddy's character this time is, you know, clearly addicted to being a hero you know it's all he ever wanted to be but they don't really play into that much of the story like you don't really get to feel most you don't really get into like you know how it must feel for him switching back and forth from being you know, a demigod to a person with a disability it was a surprising omission as i believe in the first film you know he discussed his jealousy over billy getting powers however his character just like in the first film is one of the brighter spots in this movie just because you know it's a naturally sarcastic and funny character that's being played well by Adam Brody and Jack Dylan Grazer. I just feel like the script didn't have enough. The rest of the crew are just kind of there as well. Like we get some moments with the older sister uh, who's, you know, wants to, you know, kind of split off from the family and do her own thing. But all those moments are very short and don't really do much uh, towards the overall narrative to me. And that's why at many times it's pretty jarring when our villains get civilians to kill themselves and or just slaughtering them all together. Like I get that she's like, I get that Shazam isn't a perfect hero and he makes mistakes all the time, but the amount of casualties and, you know, the horror and the horrific ways they die in both the first film and the second one just throws me off compared to how the fights with their you know heroes play out. I'm guessing this is done to just kind of make, you know, you feel more how make you feel how you know dangerous these villains are but when they stop using their insta kill abilities against the main characters it's very glaring and noticeable um the action sequences left a lot to be desired oh. as well i mean it's all magic based powers but too many times we were just left in these like harry potter style standoffs as a villain and hero cross lightning beams the cgi was pretty standard affair none of the greek mythology creatures you know were all that like interesting to look at even the you know even like the main attraction which was the dragon and the unicorns are, are kind of dull in their design compared to what they you know are they're those giant mythical beasts at the same time even with all those negatives as i mentioned with billy even though he can be super immature there's something endearing about the character it makes me want to see more of him um the humor also doesn't bog down the film too much like i would say about like thor love and thunder now this being not being you know the biggest hit in the box office and the tcu doing a big reboot i'm not sure we will see this version of the character again i'm not even sure if david f sandberg is interested in making another superhero film though i do feel like if you took him off the chains you give him a film like a live action adaptation of something like invincible he would probably do fantastic with it as i feel like that pg or pg-13 rating for this film is kind of holding this director back like he was trying to make something family friendly when he's probably better at making something a little bit more dastardly but that's just the vibe i got from seeing all these you know poor civilians getting murdered you know, there's a, an attention to detail in the amount of victims and, you know, consequences that our heroes go through in this film. 
Uh, by its end, the door was left open for, you know, a possible return for Shazam, but I just, I highly doubt it's going to happen. Either way, for my grade, uh, I'm going to be giving Shazam Fury of the Gods a C+. It was a fun watch, but probably not something I'll ever think to visit again. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code 20NERDSHO for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped, so why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric beard hedger. The beard hedger is tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time, just like your mother. <laughs> this waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manhole. Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below the waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. So listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. So this week in gaming, the question of Sony's fears over Xbox monopolizing the gaming market uh, came up again with people again pointing to Bethesda games as an example of what will happen if, you know, the merger for the uh, Activision Blizzard goes through. IGN spoke with Redfall's creative director Harvey Smith on what the impact that you know Bethesda's acquisition by Microsoft has been for you know games like Redfall. Essentially, Harvey stated that the moment that Microsoft walked in, they said no more PlayStation and told them they were to only focus on Xbox, you know, Game Pass and PC entirely. The game was originally planned to have a PS5 release. While Harvey continued to state that, you know, this is probably good for the overall development of the game now that they don't have to focus on making multiple ports, many fans are still pretty, you know, grumbled up by the fact that they won't be able to play it on their preferred console. Redfall is set for a May 2nd release, and with it coming so soon, news is floating around that Arcane Studios may be backing down on having the game be always online, 
even for single player. This has been a massive complaint by gamers over the last few years. I mean, if you look at anything that's been, you know, a game as a service has just been absolutely obliterated by reviews and just absolute hate by gamers. So of course, when Arcane announced that Redfall would be always online, you know, the uproar began immediately. Harvey Smith claimed that the studio recognizes that there is a large player base with internet connections that aren't all that stable and that they are working towards, you know, possibly remedying their decision to make this always online, but they are not going to, you know, put any promises out there. If they do go ahead with it, it'll probably end up being a patch later on after launch, you know, because the game is coming out in just a month. Speaking of launches, Resident Evil 4 finally came out this past weekend, or this weekend, I should say, and I'm excited to finally start playing it, especially after, you know, getting a chance to play the demo. But we also got some, you know, rumors about the potential DLC for the game, um, that being Separate Ways featuring Ada Wong. Um, industry insider Dust Gollum claims the DLC is being built from the ground up to be an even bigger experience than it originally was for the PS2. This will, of course, come out sometime, you know, later this year. And lastly, before we move on, uh, the darkest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles story, The Last Ronin, could be getting a AAA action game adaptation. According to Polygon, Doug Rosen of Paramount Global stated the game will take a God of War 2018 approach as it's been heavily inspired by the recent PlayStation exclusive. Uh, no word on who may be developing it just yet, but a more serious Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game definitely sounds like something to keep an eye out for. But either way, we're going to keep on trucking with the games we've been playing, you know, like Horizon Forbidden West, uh, we've been playing Dead Space, and now we're going to be, of course, adding Resident Evil 4. My schedule may be a little wonky this week, though, because I'm, you know, finally upgrading my office. I'm moving from this current office space to um, a new room that's been emptied out in my house. And that's, you know, going to be a whole ordeal because I got a wall mount shit and all that. And it's my... I don't know what they did with my walls, but it's always super complicated to put anything up. Either way, if there's any, you know, big delays or, you know, I have to move a stream day to another day, I'm still going to make sure that I get in enough streaming time on this upcoming week. I want to get my schedule back in order, folks. But I really do need to move into the new room and finally get this office all settled. So that's what we're doing right now with the streaming side of stuff. You can always check out at Amazing Nerd Live to get updates with what's going on with the Twitch side of the show. But for now, let's move on to some wrestling. Christian, this week we got another action-packed episode of AEW Dynamite. Let's not waste any time and jump right into it. Well, we're jumping right into it just like Nick Jackson jumped into that ambulance after being brutally attacked <laughs> by someone. <laughs> yes, it was later confirmed that it was the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, I liked this opening to the show. Um, it was different and it was fresh. Um, and I like the fact that this was a storyline that was kind of like, you know, that we, that we saw throughout the entire episode, if you will. Yes. Um, 
you know, I like that they're kind of shaking things up with the format of Dynamite lately. You know, last week we started off things with uh, MJF's um, Rebar Mitzvah. And then this week, you know, we start off things with a, a huge angle. I mean, I don't want to see them do something like this every week, but once in a while, yeah, shake things up. But yeah, like you were saying, uh, Nick Jackson and Matt Jackson actually both got loaded up in the ambulance, uh, seemingly attacked um, backstage before the show started. Uh, we see Hangman Page come out concerned along with Kenny Omega. Hangman chooses to you know go in the ambulance along with the Young Bucks while Kenny seems torn and he's got Don Callis like you know trying to convince him to stay because he has a big match against Vikingo later on tonight. Yeah, just great to see them continuously, you know, after last week, play an angle throughout the entire show and having all these different little wrinkles to it uh, with now Don Callis really trying to seemingly separate um, Omega from all this. But up next, we had Sting, Darby Allin, and our international champion, Orange Cassidy, teaming up to go up against uh, The Butcher, The Blade, and Kip Saban. Do they have a team name? They don't. Not that I know of, you know, I mean, they always refer to the Butcher and the Blade as like mercenaries, but that's not their official name. So I I like the team, though, like the trio. So I wouldn't mind them getting an actual like official name. Um, So but yeah, no, 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 no name yet. Either way, Sting, Darby Allen and Orange Cassidy do pull out the win uh, after, of course, all kind of using Orange Cassidy's tactics to get over the Butcher the Blade. Yeah, I thought this was a hot start to the show. Um, you know, your typical Sting and Darby party match. Um, I loved the dynamic between Sting and Orange. Um, I loved, you know, Orange kind of doing Sting shtick with the, you know, face paints, you know, the, <laughs> you uh, know, his cheeks. And then we've got Sting, um, you know, I guess in a way paying his respects to Orange, uh, doing a lot of like Orange's spots. You know, he did the lazy kicks and, you know, he even did like a lazy like chest pound. Uh, You know, he did the slow log roll in the middle of the ring. Uh, It was just a fun match. Uh, You know, nothing surprising, uh, but a good time. So I'm all for them starting off the show like this, you know, weekly. At the end, we had Orange, you know, putting the sunglasses on Sting's face and Sting, you know, putting his hands in his pockets. And then in the corner, we see Darby looking off in the distance at the uh, Double or Nothing banner that just happened to be hanging there. <laughs> Which yes. was, he yeah, wants to so punch like, his ticket. It's a little too on the nose, nothing. guys. You know, especially during WrestleMania season. <laughs> I mean, at least he didn't point at the fucking uh-huh. thing. But I was like, come on, guys. Like, we've yes. never seen you know, a pay-per-view banner hanging there, you know, during Dynamite. So, I don't know. It was a little much. Uh, but, like, we segued right into a whole, like, promo package from all the four pillars talking about what happened last week at uh, MJF's Rebar Mitzvah. Um, you know, we got comments from MJF directly after, you know, him going through the cake. Um, you know, which was just MJF mm-hmm. ranting and raving how the guys didn't deserve a shot at his title. Uh, and then each one of the pillars talking about why, you know, they belong in the title picture um, and how like their future is now. Um, I I liked this little package. Um, you know, of course, I'm disappointed that MJF wasn't on the show. But I mean, you've got two and a half months to build this program. 
So I'm fine with them, like, taking their time to tell the story, especially if it was a case of, like, you know, MJF couldn't be there for some reason. Um, although it, it was weird because, mm. like, Jungle Boy wasn't on the show and Sammy wasn't on the show either. Exactly. I, I wonder if they are going to do, like, each week as a different wrestler being featured and focusing on the double or nothing side. That would make sense. And then, like, after everyone has, like, a win, you know, then, you know, we get another, like, segment with them all together once again. Uh-huh. Um, because Sammy did mention, like, you know, you know, racking up wins and everything like that to prove himself worthy of a title shot. So maybe we get some kind of, like, scenario like that. I just don't want to see another fucking gauntlet, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever they do, I don't need another fucking gauntlet situation. You don't want all three of them going through a gauntlet oh to then God. fight Could MJF? you imagine three gauntlets at once? I mean, <laughs> at the same time. I mean, what, we got like two going on, you know, during the last uh-huh. paper we built. So I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. But no, no, they need to freshen things up. Uh, after that, we got a video package of Kingo and Kenny Omega kind of showing what happened last year and why they didn't you know, get a chance to fight and then kind of building up to the you know dream match for this week. Yeah, and they actually uh, featured a package like this uh, on Rampage on Friday. Um, a lot of people, well, I shouldn't say a lot of people, a handful of naysayers out there, and people making bad faith arguments uh, were complaining that they didn't announce the Vikingo match uh, earlier and that they hadn't like properly hyped it up enough for it to be a dream match, which... Hmm. It's just a bunch of people, you know, bitching to bitch, honestly. I mean, if you of don't course. like AEW, don't watch it. But, like, don't fucking, you know, piss on everyone else's parade. You know, let us just enjoy what we want to enjoy. Because literally that was my entire, t- you know, feed on Twitter. I was, It was insane. I was like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> I mean, I get it to a certain extent. Like, you do want a little, like, build when you're introducing a brand new, you know, wrestler on your show. But due to the circumstances, um, you know, where they kind of like got this booking last second, it is what it is. And it's not like Vikingo doesn't have a huge like following and tons of like Internet buzz. So everyone has Google at this point. Like if they're that concerned about like who the hell this guy is, like look it up. But they I mean, they they featured a video package on Rampage. So like right there and then I'm good. <laughs> like if you don't watch Rampage, that's your fault, right? It's on you and me. <laughs> but you know that you can find the video if you need to. Up next, we had the Guns defeating Top Flight, uh, retaining their AEW tag team titles. I actually forgot that this was for the titles at the time. Yeah, they showed a little video last week with, the guns going to their hotel and they were trying to get, I guess, top flight to carry their bags for them or something. Um, but the, you know, top flight obviously refused. And then like the guns for some reason challenged them to a title match, which was weird, you know, for the heels to, you know, make a, a title match challenge. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know if it was supposed to be a, a case of like top flight, like outsmarting them or something, but I don't know. It just, it just felt off to me. Um, but yeah, no, I totally forgot about, about this match completely. So I was surprised when it was all (laughs) sitting on my screen. Um, as for the match itself, I thought it was okay-ish, right? Um, I thought the commercial break kind of hurt it and I don't know, like they just, it didn't feel like both teams had great chemistry in the ring. 
And I also think like from the very beginning of the match, you knew that this was just a way to get, you know, the guns out there with uh, FTR. Like it was like, well, FTR is totally going to show up here. And I haven't been watching like ROH, um, but I've been hearing great things. Uh, so I didn't see like the kingdom like coming out and like running interference, which is exactly what happened. So um, I'm fine with like small doses of ROH being on dynamite <laughs> uh, but i just hope it doesn't like become more than what we got here uh you know because it has been nice you know the last couple months like not having roh all over AEW TV. Mm. i mean yeah you see like cesaro with the belts and everything like that but that's pretty much it they don't really make tons of mention of roh anymore on dynamite of course, after the match, FTR made their way to the ring. Uh, this time, they were just there to talk, not to not to beat each other up. Uh, FTR uh, is pretty much just trying to go, you know, the guns into giving them a title match. Uh, you know, offering everything that they can to possibly get them to do it. Eventually, they say, "Hey, you know, we'll put our careers on the line here." And uh, even then, the guns are being very dismissive of it, but they eventually do agree to. You know, it's either you leave AEW or not. I mean, yeah, I mean, they were dismissive of everything that FTR was originally offering them, which they should be. Like, why would they <laughs> give them a title mm. shot? Uh, and then finally, like you said, like when they, you know, put their careers in AEW on the line, that's when they finally accepted. And then I don't know if it was Austin or Colton, but someone fucking hit Dax with a giant fucking loogie. It was disgusting. Like it was literally like <laughs> hanging off his fucking like ear. Uh. Oh, my God. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I thought this was a fine angle and everything like that. And at this point, I think it's pretty obvious that like FTR is resigned with AEW. Yeah. When they put their careers on the line, it's like, you know, loser leaves. It, it feels like it has to go that way. They could always swerve, but I, I, I doubt mean, traditionally, that that's, the guns. traditionally though, that's usually how someone would leave a territory back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's not what makes me think that just the fact that like Dax has been, you know, it, it feels like he's been teasing this the entire time. And the whole reason behind it was to get us to this match. And, you know, because I think otherwise, if he didn't have the stipulation, like I think everyone just assumed that FTR was winning. So by like mm -hmm. kind of making things a little cloudy and, you know, throwing, you know, some doubt out there, like whether or not they're going to stay with AEW, I think it was just really his way of like putting over this match because otherwise everyone's like, yeah, of course, FTR is going to beat the guns. <laughs> Give me a break, you know, because right from the, you know, from the start when the guns got those belts, it was like, oh, yeah, they're obviously transitional champions. There's no way they're we were talking about that yeah, before they got the belts. There's no way they're holding on those titles. So. Um, and that seems to be the direction they're headed in. After this, we had a backstage moment with Jade Cargill, you know, kind of upset by Taya Valkyrie. Um, pretty much they have the same type of finisher. Um, yeah, she's suing her. Called. I always called it the glam slam. So it's whatever. They're, they're, they're fucking the suing each it's other. The jaded. Yes, the jaded. There we go. <laughs> yeah, it's the jaded. I don't remember what Taya calls it, um, but she's been doing it much longer than Jade. So... <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. I'm glad to see Mark Sterling back with uh, Jade. I feel like he adds a lot to, you know, her little backstage promos and everything. And I will say at least like Valkyrie feels like a worthy contender 
you know, and I, I do like the storyline of them both having the same finisher. Um, now, do I think that she's going to end up beating Jade? Probably not. No, but at least it's someone that I know, uh, at least that we can trust with Jade. Yes. You know, that will probably elevate her further in her career. Yeah, no. I'm still kind of holding out hope that Jade somehow gets involved with the whole, like, you know, outcasts versus the AEW Originals storyline. Because I feel like, I don't know, like, if anyone's going to take the belt from Jade, storyline-wise, I could see it being one of the outcasts. Like, maybe, like, she gets involved, and then you have, like, Ruby or Tony, you know, take the belt from her, and that's what, like, turns Jade, you know, face. Because um, at this point, like, the crowd's pretty much cheering her no matter what. So it feels like you're kind of, you know, going against the grain here, Um, you know, turn her face and, you know, freshen her up a little Um, because, I mean, this shtick has been going on way too long and the streak just feels like it doesn't mean anything anymore. As Jade says, it's time to cut the shit, you know? Sure, Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Up next, we had Hook definitively defeating Stokely Hathaway in a no DQ match. I didn't realize this was going to be a no DQ I totally forgot about that part. So when they started pulling out weapons, I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck is happening? No, I'm confused. No, I'm confused. If it was no DQ, was there like a stipulation where like the firm wasn't allowed at ringside? I mean, I don't, I feel like they would have said that if it was, you know, the case, but they never once mentioned it. Because you know, like, why didn't the firm just like storm the ring and beat the shit out of Huck? For comedy value, I'm assuming. Because <laughs> they're all, like, in the back watching the monitor. Uh-huh. Um, I mean... Th- we didn't train them in hardcore was- matches. It was like, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I love that Stokely tried to get out of, like, the, the match with a doctor's yes. note written on a wing stop receipt. <laughs> <laughs> he is sick. <laughs> and the whole getup he had on. Was very like uh. Nation of Domination, like nineteen ninety seven. <laughs> like, like what is happening? Um, no, just a fun match and everything. Um, I don't know if you caught it, but like at the end of the match, Hardy told Paige that he has to avenge uh, Stokely. And I mean, and you don't watch Dark or Elevation or you know Rampage events. So <laughs> an ongoing storyline with the firm is Hardy trying to like break them up from the inside. Gotcha. Because I have been a little bit confused on like what Hardy's like motivations have yeah, been. Yeah, like, he's. Recently. It seems like he's like decided to play along because they originally like won their contract, which is just fucking mm. ridiculous. But anyway. Yeah. Um, and now it seems like Hardy's just trying to manipulate them from the inside and, like I said, break them up. Well, after this, we had Adam Cole addressing, you know, what he's going to be doing next week in his first match back. Um, you know, he you know, brought up that he has, you know, loves wrestling, you know, all the usual stick. But then by the end, uh, he, you know, brought up, like, who am I going to be facing? And, of course, Daniel Garcia shows up and pretty much says, hey, I've been here this whole time beating, you know, some of the best here in AEW. And I, you know, what makes you so special was pretty much, you know, his whole thing here. Um, and Adam Cole gave him the riot act. Hey, yeah. And this was all kind of set up uh during a video package, I believe it was last week, where Cole said that he wanted to face, like, one of AEW's best, like, technicians in the ring. So, of course, Garcia answered the call. Um, mm. And once he said that, I kind of assumed it was going to be, like, Garcia or, like, you know, Lee Moriarty, um, you know, 
you know, a wrestler of that ilk because I didn't see him like going up against like a main eventer yet. Because some people were like talking about like Brian Danielson or something like that. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're not just going to give that match away. <laughs> Especially with the, you know, storyline going on right now with, you know, Brian. So it would just yeah, not make any sense. But I think this should be an excellent like first match back for Cole. Um, I'm wondering like, are they really, you know, priming him for a serious like babyface run or do they just want to get a couple like matches underneath his belt as a babyface, knowing that like fans are going to cheer him regardless? Because it should be interesting. Like, I feel like he'd be a good contender for the world title, like going up against MJF. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, like he's got unfinished business with the elite. So like, how does he factor into that storyline? I believe off mic we were talking how on uh, being the elites they created a group chat. Yes, for all the you know members of the was he a no. part of that group chat or no? no? It was just uh, mm. Hangman, the Bucks, and Kenny, and then Kenny left the group chat. Gotcha. So yeah, there doesn't seem like they have a a current plan for him to interact with them just yet. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, if the elite do reunite, it feels like Cole should be part of it. But I guess we'll have to wait and mm. see. After this, we got a moment backstage with Don Callis and Kenny Omega pretty much talking about what happened with the Bucks. Kenny is very concerned. You know, he wants to go visit the Bucks at the hospital, says he should be there with them. Uh, but Don Callis pretty much you know, claims, hey, this is probably what's best for you. You can now focus on your singles career. Um, the God of Wrestling is back is what he announces to Alex Marvez, who was there to interview them, which is then followed up by John Moxley uh, defeating Stu Grayson, of course, with their teams both at side. This was a solid match between the two of them. Uh, Stu Grayson is again, you know, showing his prowess. In the yeah, I, it did feel like at some point there was some kind of miscommunication going on. And, like, Moxley actually got frustrated and, like, rolled on the outside of the ring. It just, it, it felt like they kind of got lost. But then they soon, of course, got things back on track and everything was mm. fine. It did end up being a pretty solid match. But there was a point there where it got a little, like, rocky. Um, yeah, like, I was surprised at the end of the match that there wasn't just a huge, like, melee. Um, but, I mean, Stu had, like, I believe three members of the Dark Order out there, um, you know, flanking him. So it's like, okay, well, I mean, it, it's showing that the heels are smart enough to know that, you know, they're outnumbered, you know, so why waste your bullets here um, when you could just jump him backstage? <laughs> yes. <laughs> which we saw take place later on, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> uh, you, you know, we'll go ahead and talk about it now. Yeah, he's backstage. Stu's getting looked at by the traitor. All of a sudden, Moxley's hands on his shoulder, and he says, no hard feelings, it's, sh- it's only business. And then he continues to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> I mean, that makes it sound like someone's ordering him to do it, though, which it's oh, I don't not think, the case. He's just beating him up, I don't up, think right? it's someone ordering him to do it. I, I think it's more of a case of them trying to make a statement. You know, yeah, I don't see Moxley taking orders from anyone. No. But yeah, even the trainer, like, (laughs) caught some hands from Moxley. Um, Yes. You know, so it's like those little, like, nuances that Moxley's changing about his character where he's just willing to take anyone out to show that he's a heel. Because honestly, like, even as a babyface, you could kind of see Moxley doing this. But, you know, he wouldn't necessarily attack the trainer who was standing there. You know, he would just, like, you know, take out his opponent. Mm. I was honestly surprised they didn't do, like, the typical thing of stopping him from going through the crowd and having him come out the main entrance, you know? 
I don't know. I mean, Moxley's always gone through the crowd, even, you know, when he was part of the Shield as heels. So I don't know why that would change necessarily. If anything, it's more like him antagonizing the crowd now. Like, I'm going to walk through you guys and you're not going to do shit. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess it's just like the fact, I don't know, it still feels like it's, you know, crowd pleasing. So that's why I figured, you know. To me, when he goes through the crowd, even as a baby face, it's not about like trying to rally the crowd. It's more of like, I'm not confining to your rules and I'm not hanging out with the boys in the locker room. Like, like I see Moxley as like the true, like, you know, lone wolf. You know, th- you know, that kind of character where he like changes in the broom closet <laughs> at the venue. So um, I don't know. I never took it as like, oh, Moxley is like, you know, trying to be one with the people or anything like that. Gotcha. You know, Moxley's always under some type of bridge. Training. Uh, exactly. Because it's not like when he walks through the crowd, he's like can't like giving out high, high fives or anything like that. Uh-huh. In fact, we've actually seen him like knock over fans like trying to get to the ring. Uh, after this match, we head backstage again, uh, where we have Renee speaking with Ricky Starks. Uh, he just seems fed up with the entire program. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like, he seems so disinterested. Uh-huh. Like, I, I don't know. Like, this was like a half-assed promo. <laughs> like, it didn't feel like he put any thought into it, and like, he didn't have anything really to say. Um, like when it was done, I was like, what was that? That was really bizarre to me. And honestly, like, I feel like a lot of his like mic work lately just hasn't been landing at all. Um, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know if he's like lost confidence for some reason or like he's still trying to find the character. Uh, but like Starks feels like a guy who might need like a writer and that's totally fine. You know, some talent need writers i mean the rock mm. had a writer so um because his delivery is great um and his character's great but like he's just not finding the words lately or he's just not inspired by like the way he's being bucked but at the same time like i don't know what his issue would be because i mean regardless of who his opponent is i mean he's been featured so much more on the show so yeah, I would I would hate if the fact would be that he's like underperforming just because he doesn't like, you know, what he's doing. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, because that, that would be unfortunate because at a certain point it becomes just like, you know, being unprofessional and it's like, OK, mm-hmm. you know, you got to, you know, sometimes you got to turn piss into lemonade. I don't think that's how that saying goes, but, you know, I'm sticking with it. <laughs> Um, next, we got a new episode of QTV. Uh, this time, they went off on Ray Phoenix, who you know lost to Hobbs last yeah, week. Yeah, this took place on Rampage. It was a solid win for um, Powerhouse, and this was all just kind of a setup for you know Hobbs facing off against Penta on you know this week's Rampage. I will say I'm happy that they're having Hobbs like continuing on the legacy of like the TNT title holder being a mm-hmm. fighting champion, even though he's a heel. Um, Because the issues I've had in the past with the heel holding that title is, I don't know, the the title kind of loses its uniqueness because, you know, they're not defending it on a weekly basis. Um, A good example of that was when uh, Scorpio Sky won the belt and then just would like not be on TV for like three weeks. Uh, He was injured, but supposedly he's healthy now and he's been healthy for quite a while. They just don't have anything for him. I don't know. I don't get it. Because it's like him at... I mean, he could just go into the firm easy. 
Yeah, I mean, right? He's former teammates with Ethan Page. Or I'm, yeah. I'm sure you could find a spot for him on ROH. Um, mm-hmm. So it is a little weird. And he's got tons of history with Ring of Honor. So it would just almost make yes. sense. Uh, unless he doesn't want that. I don't know if it's a Miro situation where he's not a fan of what they're trying to book him in. So, you know, there's like tension there. But it's weird because he's been... He's God, when was the last time he was even on AEW TV? It's been like over six months, it feels like. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, you know, because last time we saw him, he was, you know, teaming with Ethan Page. And Page has been with the firm since the summer. Yeah, I feel like him and Miro would make great opponents for Cesaro on Ring of Honor. I don't know. It, it is weird. I mean, hopefully we see him on screen soon because it just feels like such a waste. And like, I know he like re-signed a contract like just a year or so ago so you know he's got a handful of years left (laughs) Mm -hmm. so um yeah now i don't know what's going on also like during the whole like qtv segment they were doing a lot of like um mocking of uh wardlow so it feels like you know that feud is definitely going to continue i'm not a fan of this like stop and start shit with wardlow like, it seems like he's on TV for three weeks, and then he disappears for a month, and then he's back on TV for three weeks, and then he disappears for a month. Like, the guy's not going to get any of his momentum back if you keep on booking him this way. Like, I know he's selling nice. the injury, you know, that he mm. got from, you know, getting jumped by QT and um, uh, Hobbs, but I don't know, man. It, it, this just they need to like go back to the drawing board and you know figure out a better way to really like present Wardlow to the fans because he's lost just so much steam i mean he's gonna grow his hair back before he gets his moment right. <laughs> i mean if the story's true about his hair like you would think he would be growing his hair back right <laughs> so uh-huh. we'll see if that's the case or if he just really wanted a haircut uh, up next we had tony storm defeating sky blue again <laughs> I thought this was a really good match, though. I will say that. Um, but once again, this is, you know, this whole outcast storyline kind of just treading water. Um, this mm. week, it seems like they had an excuse, though. I guess Jamie Hader had visa issues, so she wasn't in the States. Um, so I'm guessing that's why they chose to go this direction. Um you know, and I won't lie, like, I totally popped once again when Rio came out swinging that fucking giant pipe <laughs> at the outcast. So um, hopefully next week we get some more storyline progression from this angle because, I don't know, like, once Ruby joined, I was hoping things would, like, kind of get kickstarted again. Um, yeah. But I don't know, like. It just feels like two weeks in a row we've kind of like gone nowhere. With that said, that leads us into our main event where Kenny Omega defeated the AAA mega champion Vikingo. So over the past couple of years, like I've seen tons of like Vikingo like highlights, um, but I was not prepared whatsoever with just how absolutely insanely talented he really is in the ring. Um, Like he's just so fluid And he does things that just feel like they should be impossible for a human being to do. Um, Like, I I rewound, like, spot after spot, trying to figure out, like, where the move started um, and, like, how he got to where the move ended. Like, I couldn't, like, like, I don't know, like, I wasn't, like, quick enough to register what was happening. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. 
It felt like, you know, when Sonic starts spinning, like, <laughs> what, what's, like what's going on? Like, I, I don't know. Like, and he was doing so many of the moves like off the second rope. Yes, which was the most impressive part about that, because you most of these wrestlers have to like run and charge up yes. for a lot of these spots that he was doing. He's just still, still on the second rope, able to just and jump, nailed and it's fine. everything. Yes, like there was nothing that felt like it didn't like you know quite land the right way. Everything was hit like to like perfection. Um, I don't know, man. I just love like how generous Kenny was during this match. Cause it was just Kenny like taking all of his moves over and over yes. again and like acting completely like dumbfounded, like not knowing what to do <laughs> against this guy. Um, really just putting over like what an extraordinary like talent Vikingo is. Um, and I feel like really like making him in the process uh, like I love that Kenny like just kept on hitting the V trigger over and over again, over and right? Over, yeah. Because it felt like a video game where like you're a new player and you're going up against someone who's highly skilled, and all you have is like one move that you can do over and over again uh-huh. to like you know possibly squeak out uh-huh. a win. That was his only option. <laughs> <laughs> because once again it felt like he was almost just lost like he didn't know any way to actually defend against this guy's offense um yeah no i i love this match and like i said i felt like it was just and i know i mean the dude's already a star but i felt like this was like a, a, a star making performance for him in the states um like i don't know what his contract is with AAA, and I'm i'm guessing that they've probably locked him up you know long term but if that's not the case, they better do it soon because I'm sure Tony and fucking Vince will, you know, both be making that phone call, um, you know, trying to get like, you know, him on paper because yeah. the dude is just ridiculous. Like it really reminded me of like the first time I saw like the cruiserweights uh, and the, you know, the, the luchadors in particular on like, you know, WCW Nitro, like where it was just like game changing. It was just something that like I never saw before but it felt like you were really like witnessing something special um you know like the first time i saw like Rey mysterio in the ring um mm-hmm. you know th- this is the kind of match that i feel like will like go on to influence like wrestlers for you know a couple generations um i just don't see how like <laughs> anyone's gonna even find a way to match what vikingo can do in the yeah. ring you know, you know, let alone like take it to another level because <laughs> this is what it felt like. I mean, it, it really felt like the leveling up of, you know, Lucha. Like I I've never seen anything like this. Before. Well, it's, I mean, to agree with you there, I mean, it's just like when I first saw Osprey versus Ricochet, I was like, oh, this feels like the next generation of wrestling yeah. that we're just now unlocking here. So I I, I agree with you there. This, this is a new chapter and, and, and he's at the forefront. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> He really is. Um, and I think even like Osprey has been like, I, I don't even understand what he's doing in uh-huh. the ring. <laughs> <laughs> now, with that being said, uh, Kenny did end up squeaking out the win here, um, which, you know, makes perfect sense. It's AEW TV. Uh, I'm sure Kenny's mm-hmm. going to be headed over to AAA uh, to probably do the honors eventually for Vikingo. Um 
and we do know that it's been announced that we're going to see Vikingo um, on ROH's next pay-per-view going up against Commander, which should be like Lucha Chaos. I, I can't even begin to fathom what that match is going to look like. Yeah, but I mean... That I mean, that makes me want to, you know, actually yeah. subscribe or find. Well, I'm the sure that's why the match is on the card, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but with that being said, you know, Kenny, you know, gets his hand raised in the middle of the ring, but at the same time, he is trying to like, you know, pay his respects to Vikingo, which I did appreciate and like give his moment in, like in the spotlight. But Vikingo was doing what he should have been doing and like selling the shit out of what he's just been through and like the five uh-huh. V triggers that he took. Uh, but then all of a sudden we hear an ambulance blaring in the background along with helicopter noises. Did you catch that? But anyway, as like, you know, Kenny's getting his hand raised by the referee, he's also trying to give Vikingo his flowers and, you know, pay mm-hmm. his respects. But then, of course, the show long storyline comes into play and we have the Blackpool Combat Club come out and attack Kenny. Uh, as they're beating him down, all of a sudden we hear the sound of an ambulance siren uh, and a fucking helicopter. Did you catch this? I didn't notice the yes, helicopter. Yeah, it sounded like a I fucking was... helicopter. I was like, who picked the sound clip <laughs> to use? Um, but yes, uh, we see on the big screen that Hangman Page has done the wrestler trope of hijacking a fucking ambulance and, you know, driving it to the arena to exact revenge, you know, for his fallen comrades. Um, you know, he comes out uh, with a two by four with nails sticking out i have no idea you know what wood shop he stopped in to make this fucking thing but you know um but with that being said he chases off the blackpool combat club uh don Callis then you know grabs page's hand from behind when page turns around Callis takes a ridiculous bump uh <laughs> And then just starts to sell. Keddy wakes up. He sees Callus on the ground. And he accuses Paige of taking him out for some reason. And then the show ends with Kenny, you know, walking away, looking disgusted and upset um, as Paige, you know, stares off in the distance. And is- oh, and Vikingo, uh, you know, still selling the one-winged angel, you know, crawling out yeah. of the arena. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I got to say, like, I I really enjoyed the fact that we got this, like, show-long storyline. I mean, they've done them in the past, but it feels like it's been a while. Um, Mm -hmm. I also like that we, once again, ended kind of on a cliffhanger. So it just kind of gives the audience something to look forward to for next week. Um, You know, like the next chapter of this angle. It looks like now we're going to kind of have this like battle for like Kenny's soul between Callus and the elite. Um, you know, like is Kenny going to end up siding with Callus or are we going to see Kenny come to his senses and realize that Callus is just trying to manipulate him? Um, you know, and he ends up, you know, reuniting, you know, the elite once and for all. Um, I don't know. I, I love that kind of shit. So, and I, I, I give like <laughs> AW credit for like just keeping the story going for, you know, mm. since the inception really <laughs> of the company. So, um, I'm also guessing like Takesha is going to like come into play here. Um, I don't know if like he's going to end up being like Callus's new guy 
like once like Kenny like rejects him um, or if, like it's going to be a case of like, you know, Callus getting frustrated with Kenny and like, you know, he ends up like having Takesh to like, you know, take him out. And that's like a new feud. I just don't picture them turning Takesh to heal yet. But, you know, it if they need someone to do the job, well, I, I can totally I mean, right now it, yes. on Rampage, you had Callus greeting Takeshita at the airport with this like entourage mm-hmm. and, you know, and they've showed like Takeshita getting frustrated with all the losses that he's been racking up. So mm-hmm. it just feels like that's the direction they're probably like headed into. I also, though, wouldn't mind seeing like Takeshita and Kenny like team up and going up against like the Young Bucks or something like that. That wouldn't be bad either, like them being a unit. Yeah, that'd be cool. Mm-mm. But I, I, I still think he's going to turn on Callus. I do too, because like, I mean, like no one's going to show him this clip of Callus taking this awful fucking bump in the middle of the ring. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I guess it, it has been kind of established that Kenny doesn't watch the shows back, because like he's never responded to the fact that like the Bucks gave Hangman the nod. Uh, when yes. he lost the title, <laughs> right? Before he hit the fucking uh-huh. uh, buckshot lariat. So, I don't know. Like, maybe that's a, like, in-storyline thing, you know? A little wrinkle that Kenny just doesn't watch the show. I mean, there's plenty of actors out there who don't watch their own movies. I mean, I feel like Pac has gone on, like, record saying he doesn't watch his own matches. <laughs> but on the other side of the coin, there are plenty of wrestlers who, you know watch their stuff over and over again to like steady and help better themselves so but with that being said that's all for now uh, make sure to join us next week as we recap the latest episode of AEW dynamite well that does it for this week as a friendly reminder make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform and while you're there leave a five-star review it really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by theamazingnerdshow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some Nerd Show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional Nerd Show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Ship's outer skin is beginning to heat, Captain. Orbit plot shows we have about eight minutes left. Scotty, I can't change the laws of physics. I've got to have 30 minutes. Mm-hmm.